Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, last week I introduced the sermon by talking about my grandfather, how, how he was probably kind of beat down by his parents growing up in Iowa that made him sort of the person that he was, very, very much a braggadocious kind of talker, and that's where we started. Well, my grandfather worked with my dad. Uh, they were both carpenter contractors, and the name of the business was simply Oscar Wenig and Son. Now, when you got a name of a business like that, it almost seems to be self-evident that it's going to evolve, right, into Dwayne Wenig and Son. But that was never, ever foisted on me. I don't even remember it being suggested. Maybe my dad didn't see any potential in me. I don't know. But he never said to me, oh, I'd like you to follow in the family business or, or anything like that. I don't remember that at all. I, I was free to pick my own career path, and, and I appreciate that. And of course, as a little kid, you got these unrealistic dreams about what you're going to be. And then it kind of narrows down. And I was in the engineering field and kind of interested in alternative energy back when there was the Arab oil embargo in, in the late 70s. And that's the direction I was heading. But of course, I have another father. Well, it's not like my mom was fooling around or something like that. I have a heavenly father. My heavenly father had a dream for me. My heavenly father has a business, and he did want me to be involved in it. When, when he first suggested it through the means that he uses to suggest, I was dead set against it. Absolutely, did I not? I did not want to be what I am right now. And the primary reason I didn't want to be it is because of the job that I'm doing right now. And yet God, he, he wasn't mean. He didn't say, you're going to go, don't you dare say no. He was just persistent. And he helped me to see, helped me to see that he could make me be what I, what I am and get to do what I do and to see it as part of a much broader expanse of, of work that God has for me, not just as a pastor, but as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I will say now, after 30-some years of doing it, no regrets. God knows best. Now, not everybody is called to do what I'm doing. But everybody who bears the name of Christ is called to share in the Father's business. Every one of you, your disciples of Jesus, with that goes some God-given tasks, and with it goes some God-felt value, value of you. And today, I don't know how you feel about yourself, but I want to tell you what God sees you as so that you can absorb God's value of you. And walk. if you walk away with nothing else today, that you'll say, God loves me. And it's not just arbitrary. Here are some things that 
that he sees in me. Now, the very first one comes to us from two short little parables that are part of our gospel lesson. So if you look at that, those two parables again, our gospel lesson, from Matthew 13, the first one, pretty easy. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Now, the story isn't saying that you can buy the kingdom of heaven or that you can earn the kingdom of heaven. All it's saying is this. To be part of the kingdom of heaven is such a valuable thing that if you could give everything you are, everything you have to have it, you would be getting a good deal. Because, and I say this often, your biggest asset by far is to be connected to Jesus Christ so that you have eternal life. Everything else that you do, everything else that you are, everything else you accomplish, that is on a lower level. It's not nearly as important as being part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the way that little parable is phrased leads most people to misread the next one. The next one says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And it's very easy to say, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. But it doesn't say that. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. So who or what is the pearl? And the answer is, you are. You're the pearl. God was looking for you. God found you. He paid all that he had. And we'll, of course, talk about that more. But he paid all that he had so that you could be his. You are an item of high inherent value. That's what makes you like a pearl. So what makes you valuable? Well, looking around Scripture, I come up with four things. For one, God can't, for some reason, bring everybody around to have faith. I don't know why, but it's clearly stated in Scripture. And all of us, even those of us who have been brought to faith, would have just been dead unconnected to God, had God not come after us, had God not found a way to get through to us. But the first aspect of your value is you are a person whom God could get through to. That's a valuable and rare thing, and God values it as much as you should. Then, because you are that, and God did get a hold of you, you are a being that can take on the divine nature. That's something Peter talks about in Second Peter. Now, we're not talking about stuff like omnipresence or omniscience or stuff like that. That would be terribly handy, right? But, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the things that make up God's personality, 
to love others sacrificially, even to be patient like God, uh, to have all the qualities that are the fruit of the Spirit and, and others listed in Scripture. Now, you may have some of those, and you may have them because each one of us still has sort of a sort of a broken pile of God's image in us from birth. It's not whole. It's not complete. But with the Holy Spirit in us, all those qualities can grow until they are Christ-like. And you can take those on. So that makes you valuable. Then, as I implied before, God can work with you and, and use you in the kingdom of God. Now, the use is, is a very broad category. There's a lot of ways you can be used. It's not just career, but it could include and probably does include the things you've done career-wise. But it also includes all your other vocations. You as a parent, if you're a parent. You as a grandparent, if you're a grandparent. You as a neighbor. You as a sibling. You as a spouse. The many, many people that you have the opportunity to touch, both in person and by prayer and by empowering other people to to go and help. All those things amass from from getting the gospel to them in the first place, to making them into disciples, to seeing that God is worshipped in spirit and in truth here in this world, to putting out their love to counterbalance what Satan is putting out there in form of hate. All those things in one very complex tapestry you can do. So that's what makes you valuable. And then then there's the ultimate thing. Someday you're going to step out of this world. When you do, you're going to leave sinful nature completely behind. You will have this quality that's just going to be attractive to, to all. To God himself, you will be this beautiful being for an eternity. That's what makes you valuable. So if you think about those four things and you look in the mirror, do you see it? And sometimes you're going to say, I don't see it. And the reason that you may not see it is, is because it is an emerging thing. It is initially a hidden thing, just very much like a pearl is a hidden thing inside of an oyster. I mean, personally, I don't like oysters. I think they're gross. That pearl is hidden inside there. And we're all kind of gross ourselves. But it needs to be coaxed out what we are, what we will be. And just remember, this isn't like, yeah, yeah, everybody's a pearl. No. Not every oyster has a pearl. So not everybody is a pearl. And that's really what that third parable in our gospel reading was saying. 
You know, they pull in the fish, and then they're separated out the righteous from the wicked. And I'm afraid that the wicked pile is the bigger pile. So I'm presuming that you are part of the righteous. So that's one thing. One way that God sees you, he sees you as this item of high inherent value. You are a pearl. What else are you? Well, if you look at the uh, Old Testament reading, there's another, ah, it's, it's almost like a, like a metaphor inside of a symbol. It's kind of complex. But it, it's God talking to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's a city. It's streets and walls and buildings, and it doesn't talk. But it is symbolic of all of God's people, not just Jewish people, people of faith. All right? So it's symbolic of that. And he's speaking at first about the actual city, Jerusalem, in its current state when Isaiah or when God speaks about it. And it is desolate. The people have been exiled from it. And maybe you can relate to that in your own relationship to God, that there may have been times where you just felt either abandoned by God or that you had wandered far, far away. And in a sense, at that moment, you were desolate. But God sees in you what what he wants you to be. And here he uses the metaphor of a bride. You are the bride of Christ. We are corporately together the bride of Christ. How is a bride different than the pearl? One's a thing of high inherent value and the other one's about a relationship. God covets, desires, values, the relationship that he has with you personally and with us as, as a group. That relationship includes interaction. I'll grant you, it's not the kind of interaction I would like at the moment, but there is interaction. We can interact with God in prayer. We put forward our part. We can see his responses and sometimes hear his responses back, though it's not like talking just to another person. There is a trust that develops between us and God in that relationship. There is being excited about each other in our relationship, both God excited about us and we excited about God. And as, as most married people will tell you, when you're married for a while, your spouse kind of rubs off on you, right? You are not the person you were at the beginning. Uh, hopefully that's a good thing, but uh, <laughs> they do rub off on you. You kind of take on a little bit of their personality and, and vice versa. We're in connection with God, so there is a huge transformation that's part of our relationship. He values that relationship. And of course, he values it now 
but what will it be like in eternity when we can see Jesus face to face? It'll be this kind of knowing warmth that, that we truly desire right now and sometimes don't have. And these two things, your inherent value and your relationship, is why we have the third reading, the epistle reading there. Because it shows how much God, in particular Jesus, values these things. They're enough to make a tremendous sacrifice for. They're enough to give everything you have for. Um, More, almost, than everything you have. To be forsaken for. That's how much God loves us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still a hidden pearl in a nucky oyster, Christ died for us. While we were still very much not aware of him and not in relationship with him, Christ died for us. That's what it had to be. There was value in us, but it was passive value. So so God had to do the acting there, and he didn't hesitate to do it. That's the good news. It, it was done because in, in the way it was done, because God doesn't compromise with his law. He doesn't say, okay, well, I'll take the top 30 percentile or something like that. No, he's going to pay the price to pay for sin completely. He wasn't going to do an end run around it and say, oh, I'm going to save people, but I'm not going to save Satan or so forth. No, he became one of us so that people could be saved because we are valued by God. And that moment when these things became true, when we became the pearl in God's possession, when we became the bride whom now is Beulah, married, that was the moment that we were baptized into Christ. Technically speaking, it's when we became part of the body of Christ. But that is normally when that happens. Baptized into Jesus, we took on, in reality, the value that God could see in us. And if God sees us as valuable, dare we look at the same being and say, not valuable? Can anybody be credible and look at you and say, not valuable, worthless, taking up space, failure? No, not anymore. Jesus Christ has given you the ultimate value. And for that reason, you can look at yourself. And even if there's something disappointing, and I'm sure there is, You can say, hey, but I'm valuable to God. And that, above all things, matters.
So let that sink into you. I know it takes time. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about really embracing for yourself the, the dream that God has for you. I mean, we do kick and fuss a little bit against the, the guidance that God gives and the plan that God has. So you want to get beyond that? You, I think it's expected that we won't realize all of our capacity for, for good in this world. But I don't know about you, but I want my life, this life, this part of my existence to matter, right? And so we want to find out and embrace what God has for us along the way. But it's got to start by believing that God loves us and values us. And I pray that is accepted beyond question. May it be yours in Jesus' name. Amen.